0: History, Rabbi lecture number ten. We are in Eretz Yisrael, uh, firmly in Eretz Yisrael. We've just entered, miraculously traveled up. All the millions of Jews have traveled up to Har Grizim Har Eval. As I don't know if Parsha came out a little different view, we just experienced Parsha's Kisavo, which uh, really goes into great detail of what happened in the what happens in the uh, blessings and the curses. But a very, very significant time in the in the in the. In the in the history of Klai Israel, it all now suddenly becomes real and the breeze that's forged now the new breeze that's forged on Mount Grizi, Mount Eval, um takes all the words in the Torah that have hitherto been very clear to Klai Israel, they've been learning it stark for 40 years and now the challenge how do you put this into effect how do you how do you go about it? which of course I mean this is the million dollar question that we're all asking ourselves I don't think it's history, if somehow the history is not relevant to our lives, that's at least the way, since history anyway is always selective, you always choose to talk about some things and and, and, and choose to overlook other things. The only things that I've been trying to draw out are things that I take as Muslim directly, as, as as meaningful in life, and um, that's really the million dollar question. It's one thing to hear, are you um, sufficiently cool and comfortable with the air conditioning? It's working over there? Yeah. You don't feel it back here so much, I don't care, but, um, it's easier for easier for me to stay awake. than you. you guys would be really embarrassing if I fell asleep in the middle of the year. You know, for the um, you would fall asleep. Oh, okay, just We can manage. Uh, you know, the um, anyway, anyway, you know, how do you put this in effect? You know, this year you have. Uh, you may not realize it. The staff in Derech, please. Staff in Derech is. Mm, I'm just great. I work with tzadikim. I push. I love. I love my colleagues. Um, every last one of them. I mean, I know some of them better than others, but. Um, immense human beings, and they're going to teach, they're going to inspire you. They're going to be saying, terra. they're going to be inspiring you just by watching them live. Um, and you're going to take that, and you hear the idea, and then you think, oh, wow, that's amazing. And now, how do I, what do I do? How do I take that idea and make it a part of my life and actually implement it, which is really the million-dollar question. We're about to go in, we're, we, you know, this multi-shabbos, we start the Ashkenazim, at least in Sephardim, we're already been saying Slichos, Ashkenazim, we're going to commence with saying Slichos, and that really is a process that goes into Rosh Hashanah, the Yasser Tshuva, going into Sukkot, and we're going to be riding this, this spiritual wave, this high of, of, of uh, exaltedness, of coming literally close to Kaddish Baruch Hu, and then there's always the question, after that experience goes on, alright, now it's time to go back to the regular year. Okay, forget everything you've just been doing. Remember all that Shuva stuff? Forget it, it's fine. Now to go back and be normal you. And there is that tendency for people to do, and it's frustrating because you attained lofty levels, and now how do we take that and apply it? That's really where Claudius Trail is holding. They're standing at the precipice, as it were, and it unfortunately, in their case, it is a down, downward uh, progression. It's gradual in the beginning. We're going to see uh, certain cracks in the, in the otherwise hermetic, uh, hermetically tight um, system of holiness, but it's going it's to lead to progressive downhill, and the reason we learn about it is not to become depressed. Like, oh no, if they're going downhill, then we're doomed inevitably also to go downhill. But no, as we said in the very beginning of this class, the whole point of history is we want not to repeat our mistakes. We want to learn from their mistakes so that we know how to get it right. I mean, the good news is that However you work out the end of days, at least the Chofetz Chaim and many of the post came are of the opinion that we're living in times of what's called at the Mashiach, or the footsteps of the Messianic period, we're definitely in some level on the upswing. So insofar as we can draw lessons from history and use them and implement them in our own lives, we have a potential of really uh, taking the world to the next level. We said that they immediately were chayev in new mitzvahs, as a mitzvah of... of um, of challah, they have to be mafrish um, every time they make a certain minimal quantity. Anybody, anybody been Zocha in this mitzvah? You bake a certain minimal amount of bread or challah, but to take challah is one of the 24 gifts you give to the kohanim. Orla, not to consume the fruit as you watch it growing on the trees for the first three years, it's forbidden. Chadash, <coughs> we said the new grains. Um, we said that the men received brismila, that's in Gilgal, that's where the Jews are based. Actually, the Mishkan is for how many years? They enter Eretz, you keep track of this. It's helpful to keep things oriented. Gilgal is a place just northeast of Jericho. Uh, I indicated that we passed it uh, a week before last and in the Jordan Valley. And um, there they have the Gris Mila. There the Mishkan stands. Um, the truth is, is that we only know, everybody assumes it's a given. There was 14 years in uh, in Gilgal before it moved to Shiloh. What's interesting is Rashi says that, w- that number was just pieced together from a svara, from logic, but it never says that in a posuk that it was 14 years there. Um, the way they get it is the Gemara and says it takes seven years, the first seven years for them to. Hello, Eden. Yeah. Welcome. Um, it takes seven years for the people to conquer the land. You're catching us, Eden, we're we're, we're reliving history. That's why I like to do it anyway, I try to make it more exciting that way. Um, and the Jews have just entered Eretz Israel. And the first seven years, they're conquering the land. They're, they're based in Gildal, but they're all over the place. They, um, and, then, and then it takes another seven years to divide the land up and it, it tr- distribute it to all the different uh, tribes. It's interesting. We have a mishkan. What is the function of the mishkan? What do you do? Keep the Ark. The Ark is certainly there. What else? What do we do functionally? We don't have Yerushalayim in these days, so the Mishkan is the capital of life. It's the capital of everything. You do Aliyah and the Regal, on Pesach, Shavuos, Sukkot. everything goes there. Sacrifices are all in the Mishkan, except sacrifices, what do you say, sacrifice in Hebrew? You know this is not a hard question. Korban, the root of Korban, Karov, we just had a, Some of us had Adam Karo we yeah, had in Gemara this close. morning. Karo means to come close. What's the significance of calling like a korban, something to do with close? That's how we come closer to the Kodesh Baruch Hu. We give something once upon a time. We were all agrarian. The Jews, all of our, all of the Avos, Moshe Rabbeinu, they were all shepherds. We lived close to the land. Lo- wealth was often measured in terms of how many animals you had. So you brought an animal as your korban to Kodesh Baruch Hu. That was a way of giving something that was meaningful to you, that you wanted, but you said, no, no, it's really for Hashem. I guess the equivalent would be um, bringing your iPhones as a Korban, I know that probably hurts some people, but uh, something along those lines, something that means something to you, that involves some nesirous nefesh giving it up to Hashem, and that's what they would do. Let me just complete the thought and then ask the question, Barak. Interesting, this is one of the few times in history that even though you bring Korbanos by the Mishkan in Gilgal, but Bamos are permitted. A aside from being the President of America, America that's different, um, is a high place. Yeah? It's a high place. That means bama. Bamot are the high places, and people were allowed to offer their own Corbanos. You suddenly have a spiritual, and it's an interesting time, you have a spiritual revelation, you could bring a bama, you could, you could just build an altar in your backyard and bring, a, bring an animal, or a little dove, or maybe even uh, some wheat if you want to bring a korban mincha, for example, and you could bring a sacrifice to a Baruch That was permitted only during these first 14 years that the people come into the land. We'll see it's prohibited once, the, once they build the Mishkan in Shiloh. It'll be again permitted for a temporary window in time um, when the Mishkan goes to um, Nov and Givon, and when it comes to Yerushalayim, Bamos, from that point, are forever prohibited. And there's a problem with it, and pay attention to Bamos, because it's gonna be a massive theme. Give a place to sit, Eli. Make, make room for Eli. Or wherever you want to sit. That's also good. So, um, so Bamos now are permitted. Um, what else is happening? The Jews celebrate Pesach. And on the 16th of Nissan, what happens, or I should be more precisely, I say, oh, and I didn't give you a chance to answer a question. I answered it already? That, yeah, I was just asking about I personal things thought they were able to do their own. They could bring their own bombos in just in these 14 years and we'll see one more time again and then forever not. On the 16th of Nissan, something stops. And if, even if you've never heard of this before, you can picture, try to experience, try to picture what's going on in Kuala Israel, what was our family experiencing? And something really significant, from the 16th of Nisan? Yeah. Manna. Mana. Yeah. Very, yeah. yeah. very good, very good. Kola both of you got it at the same time. Yeah, right, that's very good. On the 16th, they stopped receiving heavenly sustenance. There's no more manna from heaven, as it were. And again, our theme is, those of you who walked in late, um, no guilt, well, no guilt, No, a lot of guilt. Um, those of you who walked in late, we just had this whole thing, I was like on my spirit, I was on my soapbox going in, and like, you know, you have to put things into action and everything, but this really makes it real, no? Like, okay, no longer is there a free lunch, quite literally. Hashem has stopped giving you the spiritual sustenance from heaven, and from this point on, it's up to you. You want to have food, farm your (coughs) land. Of course, if you farm the land, then all the, what's called, mitzvos, hatluyos ba'aretz, all the agricultural halachos pertain. You're going to have to do everything properly, by the book, by the Torah. And that's the test right now. Are we capable of doing it? And I should say, really, I mean, to the... Uh, absolute credit of these first generations, they were really, really stark. And I don't think that that's something we take for granted. It was, it was a, an absolutely exemplary um, several generations. And we're going to establish Yoshua judges, many people misunderstand the book of, of, of Shoftim, of judges, as a, as a black stain on the Jewish people. It's not true. It was an exalted period. The people were holding in mitzvahs in a way that we can only dream of. You know, people here, I, I gave a little sheer a few minutes ago on, uh, a couple hours ago, on tattoos. And some people came over, and afterwards the discussion, they'd never heard the subject before. It didn't, didn't occur to them that, you know, like uh, so, somebody's mother can't put on, potentially, the Medipost team at least, um, what's called semi permanent eyeliner, as, as is now very much the craze in the world. It might be a Torah prohibition of, of, of uh, tattoos. Where our knowledge of halacha is pathetically incomplete all kinds of things are going to come up this year that you're going to think, wow, that's a crazy chumrah. No, it's not a crazy chumrah. It's simple halacha from the Torah that you were clueless about before. Now that you're hearing it for the first time, it sounds very machmir. But it's not a chumrah if the Torah says you can't do such a thing. Right? That's the way it is. Our generation is lacking in that way. This generation, they knew it. They wanted to do it. For them, it wasn't the burden. It was the opposite. It's an opportunity. That's what mitzvahs really are. It's an opportunity to deepen your neshama. That's where we find Klal Yisrael. Now, and a malach comes. It's not clear exactly which day, but it's one of the first days. Again, Pesach has just happened. A malach, an angel, comes and tells Yeshua, the land is. He calls it Admas Kodesh. It's holy land. What's the significance of that event? When the angel comes and tells us that that the land is holy, not a big deal. Anybody know this? Anybody learn to say for Yeshua here? Okay. Um, Learn, learn Tanakh. You can't, um, one project is you're trying to figure out your goals and aspirations for the year. One thing that's absolutely vital if you plan to be Jewish, and li- if you don't wanna be Jewish, I can't help you. But if you wanna be Jewish and you wanna be alive uh, for, for a few years, learn Tanakh. If you find the, the project overwhelming, it is overwhelming. So here's, a, here's like an inadequate approach, but at least it'll get you started. Take out an English language Tanakh and just go through it. Go through at least the famous narrative books Joshua, Shoftim, Shmua, Malachim, maybe Ezra, Nefemi, Direyamim. Pick up, scan around and see this. At least just get a, a running familiarity with all the events that transpire. You should know, for example, I mean, to be fair, hopefully these next few weeks in our class, I'm going to be basically giving the synopsis of everything important. What I think is important, not that I know anything, but what the, some of the highlights at least of the Tanakh. We're going to be going through it now. So you get, maybe this class is going to give you a partial knowledge, there's nothing like looking at the book itself and and lurking inside in the book we find this story where an angel comes and tells him the land is holy what's what Chazal say? the land now is holy and all of the agricultural laws all the not just agricultural laws all the laws of the Torah that are meant to be kept in Eretz Yisrael now from this point on count everything the clock starts ticking and now it's it's holy um, but it's an, it's a unique kind of kedusha, Kitsha Lashaiso, the low Kitsha lavo. The Gemara says it's temporarily been made holy, but not but only it's it's the, it's going to last temporarily. How long is the initial kedusha of Yeshua going to last? Anybody know this? You can guess it if you don't know. When's when, when, is, when there's, a, there's it's not an expiry date, but like it turns out that it's it's going to stop at one point. How long is this initial kedusha of the land in which now all of the Laws become official. No, 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 no. It goes for a while. It goes for a few, several hundred years. Two hundred. No more than that. The, the, no, the, what event co- uh, culminates? What? what? Oh, i destruction of the temple. A destruction of the first temple. When Ezra comes back at the beginning of the second temple, there's a re-sanctification of the land. How long is that re-sanctification last? How long does that last? Four hundred. Listen to the Hebrew. If you know the Hebrew lavo. He sanctified it at the time, and it's still sanctified. It's never left. That that second kedusha of Ezra still pertains today. That's why you know, in just a couple weeks, really soon. uh, In a couple weeks, we start the shemitah year, right? The kedusha back then extends today. Shemitah is a little different today. It's its own topic, but uh, it's it's it, it. Now everything becomes real under Yeshua but um, do you think all Jerusalem is holy? Like, or... is different than Eretz Yisrael. It's even holier. But what I was just referring to is not Jerusalem only, but rather all of the land. There is a sugiya later on in the Gemara and Makos. There is a sugiya about Jerusalem's Kedusha, and there's some ambiguity about if the holiness of the temple uh, exists even after the temple, even if the holiness of the land does. I mean, do you think that all Jerusalem is just like, holy? Like, whatever, whatever. What I think is really irrelevant, because I'm just Menashe B'lay-wise, But I can tell you that the kedusha of Yushalayim is definitely is definitely uh, is 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 in place. and has been in place. We, we the Gemara says explicitly the Shekhinah has never departed from the western wall. If be exceedingly careful, the I mean to really concretize that this halacha that we've mentioned before. Be careful. There are Jews who I think incorrectly go up on the Temple Mount today. Um, and they're not allowed to. Uh, potentially, depending on where they're walking on the Temple Mount, they may be, if they know what they're doing, for doing so. Um, if you walk in the area of the Mikdash today, which is certainly the area around the Golden Dome and probably much further than just that, they walk in that area and they're in the state of Tumus Meis. Who is in a state of Tumas Meis? Impure because of the dead? All of us. All of us, effectively. Anybody here born in a hospital? right that means that by definition probably from the, your first moment breathing you're in the same building as a dead uh, body yeah, a jew not it's not really either. Tumas mace it's a jew that's true yeah. if you are only among goyim anybody anybody only among goyim probably no not. If, you, yes. if you were just never remember <laughs> like if you were it's possible it's absolutely possible that a person that doesn't have much mace virtually i mean certainly implausible very unlikely that that's the case even inadvertently becoming contact with dead bodies it comes up a lot in life especially in the modern world we're not that old. Like, we okay. You're right. If somebody, they used to be very careful with such things. If your parents were very careful and you were home birthed and you were you know, they were mockpied on such things, you might know. Even if you're in doubt, though, we're talking about Nisi de Arisa. It's, it's a Nisit Torah prohibition to enter the area of the uh, actual temple. No. Is you, here? No. it so in the, uh, uh, the Holy Temple. Anyway, just to illustrate your the point, you know, the area of the Temple person walks there, the holiness is absolutely replete there, and a person could potentially be chayav kares. Chayav kares. If I say that, that means anything to anybody? I like guess not that big of a deal. It just means that your soul dies and you die prematurely in this world, and all your uh, kids and their kids and their kids all die early, and you're cut off from the Jewish people. That's pretty much Wait, That's kares. Rabbi, um, came. what was I going to say? Oh, yeah. Try don't try this at home, kids. Yeah. <coughs> can holiness be removed from an area? Yes. Can holiness be removed from an area? Okay, so are I areas mean, areas I as I spell spell said, by reshown the destruction of the first temple, the holiness of Yisrael was effectively ceased. But so there is such a concept. Right. Yeah. What if the Kohana had a heart attack in the base of like, the Kohani-Guddle had a heart attack in the Kodak Shikadosh. Yeah, it happened all the time. They were, they were, we're going to see this in the second temple. Right, very good. You learned, you learned <laughs> in That's a in the snails and Yuma. snails and Yumas. People died, the Kohani near the end of the second temple period were notoriously corrupt, and like you said, they, they, they died frequently there, so what? No, in the first temple period, let's say, where there weren't... There were ways of cleaning it up and making sure there wasn't, there wasn't there too was, much space anymore. There was too much space. All over the structure. Right, but so so there's ways not of not getting around that issue. That's th- There are ways, this, I mean, this is a huge, huge topic in Halakha. Wait, Rabbi, um, I'm talking about nowadays. Is, yes. it like, is Jerusalem just de facto holy, or like there are areas in exactly. Jerusalem which are... There's a question exactly... areas in Jerusalem are The question you're asking is, okay, is, yeah. Yeah. is multi-layered with lots of potential ramifications, or as you say in Aramaic, lots of nafkaminas, my she should recognize that expression from this morning, lots of nafkaminas, um, it depends. Uh, if you, uh, the Gemara and Makos talks about this, that if you want to, after the temple, bring a korban up on the temple mount, you know, does that have any significance whatsoever? Is the altar still somehow uh, receptive, or the area of the Mizbeah? There, there, there each each question is uh, relative to the category of halachas, so you have to really go into depth on the question, but in general, if you a general question, I'll give you a general answer. Yes, there is a kedusha there. Depends on what, what, what the level of kedusha so you you're, you you're seeking. Be, you have to I'll say, you know, the, the the stakes are very high here. I don't mean to intimidate anybody, or maybe I do, but um, it, it's pretty intense here. You know, back in um, in, in Schmutzlaritz, I mean, in in, in uh, back back what they call home, I like to call it self-imposed exile. But the um, back back over there, you know, a person sins, Mr. Perelach, not really, it's really a problem. But you, a person sins in Eretz Yisrael, I mean, you know, you're in the Ha... Uh, the Heichal Hashem you're in the palace of the king the stakes are extremely high with ramifications that affect all of Kuala Yisrael right that's why a person's Mechal Shabbos I don't know in Tel Aviv so that potentially has um, reverberations like mystically on every Jew here if, if, if a Jew gets run over in Yerushalayim by a car that may have something to do with the fact that a Jew did something elsewhere in Eretz Yisrael. We're all part of the same goof, we're all part of the same body, and so absolutely this takes a very high. It's very intense. If we would see what's going on around us spiritually, if we saw the demons and the angels and all the various things, we would, oh my goodness, I better, you know, shape up. I really illustrated this, um, you know, the, didn't I say this here? The minag of the Chaver Kedisha in Yerushalayim, how it differs from all of the minhagi because of the intense potency of the Kedusha in Yerushalayim, did I say this here? No, no Mark. You with me all day, so you know you know every everything I say. But um, but um, the kedusha in Yushalayim is such that the minhag in Yushalayim, when a man dies, doesn't it sound familiar? A man dies. It, morning shir. It was Morning Shear. A man dies, and they say they make an announcement after they've given the eulogies. They say all of the descendants of the of the deceased should remain back and. Other family members and friends go off and bury the dead. You ever hear such a thing? You ever see such a thing? I was just at a funeral a few weeks ago. They did that exact thing, right? And then everybody else goes and buries them. But the descendants don't. Children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren. Rabbi Lyoshev, um was a great-great-great-grandfather that he passed away. Do the math and figure out what you have to do to, to pull that one off. Uh, think about it. Intense. How many kids? Great, great, great grandfather. You do Wait, the math. So how I'm not going on that tangent right now. How old was he? I'm not going on that tangent right now. As insistent as you are. The uh, anyway, anyway, when they, when they, um, you figured out it. He's 102. The um, they. Uh, now you're, Now I've lost and you, I realize. Everybody's like doing math right now. Stop, let me get back, let me get back to Joshua too. I'm coming with a tangent. Anyway, the minute you shalim is they, they have the descendants go back, why? You shalim, you don't realize what's going on in this area and what kind of spiritual potency exists. Any seed that was spilled, this is Kabbalistic. I don't claim to understand this really, but here's the tradition. Any speed, any seed that that man spilled in his lifetime, um, any seed, becomes demonic turns into a demonic force out there. And when the, somehow, when the person dies between that point and getting buried, those demonic forces are out to get him and potentially are a threat to the soul before he's safely buried. So what's the antidote to those, to that seed, according to the tradition, if all of the mitzvah seed, in other words those that the seed that actually was used for Purvu and therefore became his live children and thereby grandchildren, great grandchildren, great 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 grandchildren and the like, um, they stay behind because the Kaddish bars meet rachamim, his quality of mercy is greater than his quality of justice, so that mitzvah seed overrides all the demonic seed. Some of they stay back and the demons also stay back and can't injure the deceased. And then you get him for proper burial. I just bring this as an illustration of there's something going on in Yoshalayim to answer your question. I'm coming back to you to say for Yoshua. As we said, the man ceases on the day after Pesach. The man that they had collected, um, the last man they collected was on which date? Logically, seventh of Adar when Moshe died. The last day they were outside of the land of Israel. Um, when um, thirty nine days later. Um, the Mon had lasted till the 10th of Nisan and... Um, and no, it must have lasted till the 16th of Nisan. So I don't know how I got that. i have to do the math. Anyway, now they're entering a new phase of Hashkocha Pratis. Now it's divine providence that's very connected with our behavior. Keep mitzvahs, be a mensch, treat people well, and it goes well for us. Now, um, Yoshua at one point, sends two spies to their first, uh, their first target, their first place that they're meant to conquer. Remember, they're coming to land is a conquest. Because they're evil people, even you missed this part, but we're talking about the nature of the Canaanites. They're really gross. They're foul, despicable human beings. And Hashem commands as a specific mitzvah from the Torah to wipe them out, kill them. They can't be spared. And is the first target, the first city that's also evil through and through. And they send spies. And it's all a little bit strange. And asked about this. Wouldn't you think that, you know, they learned the last time around that sending spies may not be the way to go in life? Right. Last time we sent we sent spies. How many years did that cost us? 40, right. 30, not quite forty, really. Thirty-eight <laughs> by the time nine, Right. By the time you're through. But it didn't really work out very well. So they learn from they learned now. It's different. it's different. It's different. And this is totally different. First of all, he sends two spies, and they have impeccable credentials. Their morality is not a stake. you know who the madras says the two spies are. Kalev, who for sure, you know, you have to worry now, he's the second he time around, spies, he was one of the first yeah. spies. Exactly, now he's the second spy, and the second one, well, Yoshua was in charge, so he's not <laughs> one of the spies. <laughs> now it's Pinchas. So you don't have to worry about Kalev and Pinchas, pure tzaddikim, and they're not going to scout. What is the purpose now of the spies? And it's typical if you know the patterns in history, what are we really seeking? They're seeking the tzedikim. Like Avram Avinu says when Hashem is, is, is about to destroy Stom and Amorah, what if there's some innocent, righteous people in the mix? We don't want to kill the good. We want to make sure that everybody gets a proper judgment and they're going to seek out good people in Yericho. That's their, that's their, that's their agenda. Say it again. Yes, Yes, they did. In fact, they went there and they found uh, um, a prostitute with a heart of gold, as it were. Her name is Rahab. Who, what's that? Yeah, if you say her name three um, times. Yeah, I mean the Gemara Megillah has a more tactful <laughs> way of expressing it than that. I would I would use a slightly different formulation. No, it says, if right, mean, if a man says wrong, her name yeah, three, names they, three times, it doesn't go well. How about if I say it put it that way? Um, actually, they, that only works so if you know what she looks like. Yeah, they they said that they said it in the Gemara three times and nothing happened. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, they don't know what she looks like. Rahav in fact in that Gemara is is, is equated with the mo- what well, she's one of the four most beautiful <coughs> women, the, the Brisa tells tells us to walk the planet, the other three. Easter, Sarah Sarah. Sarah. Baba. Interesting. Oh oh some add Baba Baba Bastra adds Chava, adds Eve, Sarah. but the original are Sarah no 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 other emma hosts make the list just sarah esther really? esther's there correct yeah, right. and there's one in between that is uh we'll, we'll see she's not as well known but she's a significant player she's one of david's mm-hmm. wives her name is avigail so sarah yeah. sarah rahab avigail and esther in in order and then some ad, Anyway, Rachav, when the when the um, spies, when Kalev and Pinchas, it's not identified by name, they're just called the spies in the pesukim, they go around Yericho. The locals get word that somebody's there. They start to go after them. Very much shades of the story is very much parallel to the story of Stone, when the angels go to visit Lot. A very similar kind of dynamic there. Um, they, she saves their lives, she lowers them out the back window, which also is the, um, the back window also is the back wall of the city, they, she says, what are you going to do for me? Um, and they said, we'll save you, you're righteous, you and your family, you tie a red string so that the Jews when they come, remember I'm using the term Jews advisedly, it's really not Jews, what, what's more accurate as a title? Hebrews? Eh, Hebrews you could do, but that's usually a put down, Israel. right? Am Israel. B'nai Israel. Qal Israel. just Israel. Jisrael. Um, Israel, when they come to uh, conquer the land, will spare you. We'll see the red string and we'll know that you, you, you need to be spared. B'nai Israel come out. They encircle Yericho once a day for six days. They make seven circles um, on the seventh day. Um, the seventh circle on the seventh day, we do something nowadays that commemorates when this. A, hakafos. This? Hakafos with the Aravos on Hoshana Rabbah, are specific commemoration of this historical event. A weddings. Weddings, true. Weddings also, for sure. Um, each time they do this, they blow the shofar. They shout. I just sang a song. Those of you who came earlier, I sang the English... Song of Joshua <laughs> Simpli- Right, also couple are, are, are reflected in this too They shout, but it's not as, as said in the song, Joshua commanded the children to shout But it's not war cries What kind of shouting are we talking about here? Prayer. Davening we, we, we scream out to Kaddish Baruch Because he's not going to fight our wars We're really absurdists We really have problems Kaddish Baruch Hu fights all the wars We have to fight the war of the They so Shout out to Kaddish Baruch Hu and the walls don't come, come tumbling down that morning. That's an, that's an incorrect lyric. They, the miracle is they miraculously sink into the earth. Kathleen Kenyon was an anti-Semitic British archeologist who excavated Eureka in the 50s, 60s, and um, she found definitive archeological proof. I'm a tour guide, so I get into this stuff. Um, she found definitive archeological proof that there are no walls of Jericho. No no problem. There are no walls at- She excavated. She found no evidence of walls. What is the response to to, to, Ms., to Ms. Kenyon? I'm sorry, Ms. Kenyon. We would say the Jews say lack of evidence is not evidence of lack. All that means that you have not discovered the walls of Jericho that came tumbling down that morning is that you, Ms Kenyon, have not discovered them, not that they don't exist. Furthermore, the likelihood that you haven't discovered them have to do might have something to do with this miracle that they're not there to be discovered. They went sinking deep into the bowels of the, of the earth. So, you know, archaeologists, you know, thanks very much, but you don't know what you're talking about as far as, far as this go. Um, everybody in Yericho, hold the question for a second, everybody in Yericho perish, spare, except for Rahab and her family. They're all killed. The, the city is decimated. It's the first... Of what's supposed to be the conquest of Eretz Israel, that doesn't quite go as well as, as this first step. Yoshua, sure now, and pay attention to this, there'll be themes in history that we're going to come back to, and I'm going to test you on this later on when it comes up. He utters a curse. He says, This city is a symbol of everything that is wicked in Hashem's world. Our job in this world is to eradicate wickedness and to bring goodness to the world. That's what Kwal Yisrael stands for. Anybody, therefore, who would rebuild Yericho is cursed, and it's a weirdly specific curse. It's not weird at all. We'll see, we'll see how, how it's going to come true. There is a curse that any man who rebuilds the city will lose ten sons. Well, Anybody learn, learn the book city of Kings? Of you know the name? What's his name? No, but I okay. Stay tuned. It'll be after the Chagim. We'll get to this story, but we'll see this curse come back to haunt us. Okay? There's like a haunting. Right, Excellent, Chiel Eli. Chiel Habeseli is his name. You, okay. Right, can that's my question? Yeah, go ahead, Arya, you're on. Okay. So if you're saying the lack of evidence does not mean it's not evidence of lack, that means that all Jews should also believe in evolution because this found it doesn't mean they won't. Be. It doesn't mean we believe it. It just means you haven't proven so anything definitively. I, that, you're wrong, to lo- sure. you're, You you've just you've just actually you left forward logically illogically. All I'm saying is that it's not a proof. All it means you haven't discovered it. We also, we don't refute yeah, the possibility. Sure, there could be a missing link. They just haven't found it yet. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, good. That's, not, that's fine. That's, right. not, that's not Akashia to us. Wait, Jews also, you even said Jews don't not believe in illusions. Right. Evolution might plausibly be shtim, might be reconciled with our vision of events. I cited a couple of Gemaras that seem to indicate that, not that we come from the Apes, but actually the Apes may come from us, but by Mikdal with Okay. All possible. I don't know. We'll find out when Mashiach comes and the Temple's rebuilt and all the rest of that, how it works out. Rahab then not only integrates with the Jewish people, but she gets married. Anybody know who she makes a really good shidduch? Yehoshua bin Nun marries Rachav. According to the gemara, according to the gemara, it tells us that, that they get married. She's a, she's a she's a symbol of. Uh, pay attention to Rachav. She's not the first, but she's considered. She and Yisro are called the. The, the the um crowning or the first of the of the righteous converts not the last by any stretch but they're considered two of the righteous converts to uh to to, to Torah to Torah observance um and like many of these righteous people they become not only Jewish they become stellar Jews some of the best Jews ever they Rachav and Yeshua only have daughters, but from these daughters, some of the great tzaddikim in history descend, all in the Gemara of Megillah. Do you know who their descendants are? Do you remember? Uh, yeah, it was one of the first <coughs> Jeremiah. Yes, Yirmiyahu, Yirmiyahu, Yirmi- uh, yeah. many other prophets, um, Yirmiyahu, Yechezkel, Baruch Benaria, Huldah, the prophetess. Um, interestingly all around the same time around the end of the first temple period so they have quite a legacy quite an interesting legacy, Yoshua and Rafa really um, first you said that uh said we're supposed to eradicate all wickedness yes, in the world get rid of evil from the world Yeah. well it depends sometimes <laughs> I, I said this mitzvah of eradicating kanaan. You know, to the modern PC ear, that sounds so not PC. What do you mean, eradicate an entire nation? China's but we we understand, right? They would they would call that they would call that wicked. But we understand if the kinnanim almost genetically, almost inherently, um, embody this evil. That's the way Kadosh Baruch Hu defines it in the world. We understand that loves his creatures. You remember how Kadosh Baruch Hu says, shira. He mourns the death of the Egyptians. But he recognizes sometimes it comes to that. When you have absolute evil, sometimes there's no alternative but, but to destroy it. Ideally, you should realize, I mean, with Canaan, with the Egyptians, with Amalek, we make these exceptions. We say they are evil through and through. In general, though, our approach to evil is much more moderate. Uh, there's a story, a famous story. Anybody here learned the like Gemara Brachos? Well, Gemara Oh, where they, they at this. So it's Yud Amud Aleph, Rabbi Meir, the great Rebbe Meir, is living in a town where some hooligans are constantly bothering him. With Brewery, right? With Brewery, very good. Figured you'd know, right? And the hooligans are constantly giving a hard time to Rebbe Meir, and he daven[s] that they should die. Ruria, his, ri- his righteous great wife, I don't know what she's doing listening to his davening, that's another question I have in Gemara, like but that's a, that's a side issue. She overhears and she corrects him. You know, we just said this on Rosh Chodesh. we said the Pasuk in bar she is, um, we say, Itamu Odinam Let the wicked cease from the... Um, I messed it up the time, let, the, let, the, let the sinners of sins cease from the land and there won't be any sinners left she says look at the puzzle carefully it says let the sins not the sinners the sins cease from the land and then there won't, won't be any sinners left she said don't daven that they should die daven that they should make tshuva and live and that's much better and that's what Akash Baruch who deeply desires he, he loves us he loves his creatures and he wants us to make good in the world. And so, Rabbi Meir takes the muster from his wife. Good good lesson, we should all listen to our wives. Um, he takes the muster from his wife. He dabbins that they should make tshuva. They do. Um, also, isn't it also going uh, against like, uh, I, I know like a band why would make? So to them all. Like I, something not good? I think it's a great question. Why make these nations if they're evil through and through? Shouldn't you know he could design all the history anyway? He wants to. Why have the existence of Amalek, of Canaan, of these wicked nations? You want to give it a go? Yes. Same like our We're supposed right. to fix the world, right? Yeah, so so let, me, let me address the question. I think the question really gets into what's called the freedom of choice. He creates human beings and we're left to our own devices. And that includes the possibility that we go really bad, we go really sour, right? <laughs> the pasuk says in the end of Parshish Breshis, it says Hashem looks, in the generation, not its generation, it was just evil at its core. He sees this potential for human beings, um, utter evil. Um, and, and, um, and that has to be part of the mathematical equation, the potential to achieve ultimate evil, where nothing of sanctity exists in the world, and, um, and, and then we have to make good on it. So that means the the chairs, uh, that they, they also have, have a chance... They to have a chance to redeem to it, and it to turn it around, for sure. Why do we take away the chance for them to do it? Good question. It's a good question. There was a chance. (laughs) Humanity has always that chance. It seems that Canaan and Amalek and a few of these exceptional nations are in a different together altogether. And it's similar to what we say by Paro. Paro had a chance up until a certain point, at which point he forfeited it. And the same must be said by them as well. Good questions. Um, I'm giving you—I I admittedly inadequate answers because the questions are stuff of sheer in themselves. <laughs> so I, I, I realized as we, we, we rampage our way through history, I'm going to be raising issues. Go find out for yourself now. Let me move on. Let me move on. One last quick question, and then, then we're going to we're going to yeah, proceed. Not in though, really. like we, have year. we have a whole year, except that. I got I a lot of really great stuff. It's only a year. I got a lot of great yeah, stuff that we're yeah. gonna go through. I mean, right. you know, I wanna take you into the I wanna take you into the Spanish Inquisition, I wanna take you into the Schmidtsky Massacres, I wanna, you know, I'm revisit revisit uh, Amsterdam in the days of Shop and like that. So that you'll see but time you know, come up. I know, but I, I told you I do I do the very beginning pretty quickly. We're gonna slow it down when it gets when it gets interesting right. so the very beginning is the best part. I agree. Question. Go ahead. Uh, so Yitro, yes. Um, just because you brought Because they're considered the Rosh Hagerim. They're the head, the beginners of the, of the conference. Is Yisro's grave, it's like the Jews holy said, right? Are we going to visit it? Um, yeah. You, um, Ilan is, is asking about Yisro's grave, quotation marks. Um, it's in a place called Nebi Nebi Shweb, It's just above the city of Tveria and near the hike of the Arbel. it's a druze tradition that has no jewish legitimacy no just because and you be careful be skeptical when you go around Eretz israel just because people some people somewhere call something some you know by a certain name doesn't mean it has any legitimacy and there are a lot of other nations in the land not just jews who have these traditions they are extensions of the jewish people the Druze originally extend from shiite islam and islam of course is an extension of judaism so they have similar holy icons but you know their traditions are often well, their, really their off the wall different and different wacky. What? Their holy person is Israel, right? That's one of their yeah. holy people, correct? They have a secret religion, the Druze. Not to be confused the Jews, D R U Z E. The Druze, and they have a holy place, but no significance for us. Uh, so where where do we think it's <laughs> buried? What's that? Where do we think we buried? don't. Um, there are a couple. Send me an email, and I can verify this. There are a couple theories, but we don't know definitively where Jesus was buried. Other places, we have a better confidence. And saying, yeah, this is the burial I'm site, sure, but Yisrael sure, is a good question. I'm are sure that it's not, like that's not even one of the traditions. There's no, again, I don't know that it, evidence, lack of evidence is not evidence of lack, right? I don't know that it's not any more than I know that it is, but there's absolutely nothing Jewish to indicate that it would be the right thing. Um, right after Yericho, Klaal Yisrael suffered their first and really only defeat in this period at, we talked about it last I, week, Ha'ai. Ha'ai, the Battle of Ha'ai, which is the first picture, you know, they're out in the east, down in the Jordan Valley. They're coming into the central mountain region. What I should really do is give you a map. Can you picture Eretz Israel a little bit? You know that Eretz is defined topographically by a central mountain region that runs through what they call the West Bank, Yehuda, Yehuda v'shemron. yeah? So in the first stronghold in that central mountain region, very close, let's say, to the biblical city of Beit El, is Ha'ai, and that's, they're, they're, you know, they want to enter the land. So they're coming through, they're going to conquer the land, and um, they lose. They're trounced. And it's a terrible defeat. I mean, it's terrible because we've never known, we've never tasted defeat before. How many Jews die there in Ha'ai? Well, 36. Well, there's question on it. 36 is the accepted tradition. San, uh, the Sanhedrin, though, says that it might have just been one, one guy who was as well, what's clear, and our uh, Igmar and Sanhedrin talks about this. The reason for the defeat is that we're supposed to struggle the Yetzirah. One man lost the battle with his Yetzirah, and all of Klal Yisrael pays the price, or at least thirty-six people pay the price. Who's the man? His name is Achan, and what was his, what was his, uh, what was his sin? He took some gold. He took Yericho was supposed to be completely destroyed, and he took. What did he take? Even interesting. The, the Gemara says this. He just took one garment and some gold and silver, and he was going to use them all for the mishkan. Meaning, he took what he took, L'shem Shemaim, and even so, he didn't follow the rule book, the rule book, the Torah, right? And and so that was a problem. That was a problem, and the Jews have Yoshua's only defeat, Moshe was never defeated, and Hashem says... And I just did this over Shabbos, the Gemara and Sanhedrin talks about this. They have sinned. Hashem is trying to preserve the dignity of the sinners and not embarrass them publicly, but it's understood it was really one person's sin. And listen to this. This is the last time in history that Klaal Yisrael is punished collectively. We have other instances in the Torah where a few people do bad things. Another instance is dosa, a Dofson and viram go out and collect sticks on Shabbos, and the nation's punished collectively. Anybody a camp counselor here? Right, you have some experience? Anybody a parent here? You'll have this too. Um, one no-no in basic discipline is you'd never punish collectively, because then the good guys get punished with the bad guys. That's not fair. You're not teaching good good midos that way, no? So what's the going on here where Hashem punishes Amishel collectively? Everybody has to suffer because this one man sinned? He's at a higher standard. That's the answer. Excellent. The right, right. And in these days, in these lofty days that Jews are really holding on such a stark level, it's reasonable to say if he sinned, on some level, it's your problem. It's your problem. You should be doing better. You should be setting a better example. You should be doing more. And, and on that level, all Israel is, is, is punished collectively. Um, we're never going to see this again which is an indication that the nation is very gradually declining. <laughs> and you, you can only punish everybody if they're gonna, what's the purpose of punishing? To, uh, to prove, um, learn a lesson. Right, in theory, um, a lot of us like to punish to get back, to get revenge. Some parents are like that, it's terrible parenting. Your kids know immediately when, you're, when they're punishing punishing you to get you, you know, they say, this is gonna hurt you a lot more than it's gonna hurt me, kid right? The inverse of the usual statement, right? They, they really want to, they're, they're punishing punitively to get you. Kaddish Baruch never punishes that way. He takes no pleasure in our pain. Quite the contrary, when we experience pain, his pain is even greater. It's more acute. It says that in this week's Parsha, that Hashem does not want to punish us. His punishment is meant to be taken by us as a sweet little patch by right, a little hand-slap kind, of kind of a punishment to straighten us out. He wants us to learn. He wants us to grow. And that's the nature of the punishment here. And you can do that collectively when the people are on such a high level that they say, oh, whoops, this is our mistake. They take it. They take it in the best possible way, and they, they make tshuva from it. That's, that's, the, that's the spirit of the times. What happens, to finish the story, and then you'll ask, is um, Achan and his family are taken to a valley called Emek Ahor? they're stoned, uh, no cannabis involved though, this is rocks um, they're burned to death uh, and there's a machlokis if his sons indeed are killed or not and then Yoshua goes back and round two with Ha'ai, the city is captured it's destroyed and it's captured so that's the, that's the end of this first episode and there's a, you know, everybody's clapping all hate now, we better um, take a little a little spiritual inventory and clean up our act are you? Um, how does <laughs> It's an incredibly deep, difficult question. How does the Shoah? I hope that we get, we have time. One of the, I mean, we have to do this topic well and carefully, and I have what I, I mean, I've really worked out, I spent hours and hours trying to work at my presentation here, where we have to address your question, but we can say, since it's premature, we'll get to it in the spring, at this stage in history, what have to say is that there's no comparison. You can do certain things collectively to call Yisrael, and they'll take it as a lesson, in ways that in the generation of the 1930s and 40s, Klal Yisrael with their relatively very low level, you punish them, and their conclusion is, you know, like Elie Wiesel, the guy guy wrote a Nobel Prize, he's a co-fair. He, I mean, at least when he writes, anybody read, there's a classic book called Night, but it's clear, it's heresy, he writes his famous image of like, uh, you know, Kaddish Baruch Hu, Chas hanging on the gallows. In, 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 uh, in the concentration camp, you know that's the wrong conclusion to draw from the Shoah, clearly, but the nation was not at the level. So then the real well, question is know. how then, what are we meant to understand? What was the message of the Shoah, theologically if you must, and that's a discussion. And like Torah has an opinion on everything under the sun, there's something to say on the subject. Wait, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna push it off because it, again, we'll be here all day, and there's a time we'll do that topic. Brother, just one thing about what you said. I you might be wrong, but I don't know if you can say something like that about him. Because like I know a lot of rabbis that have like big positions. I made like exemptions for people from that or from the Holocaust. They're theory. more generous. They're more generous with Holocaust survivors. It's true. It's true. The notion, however, maybe Elie Wiesel, I don't know. I can't say. I don't know. Who am I well, my anyway? But the notion is obvious heresy. Right. Whether he's a heretic or not, that's maybe that's Allah Khashbar. You know, that's his that's business. But the idea is clearly a problematic idea. Um, four nations come to Yeshua and lie through their teeth. They're actually Chivim, which is one of the seven Canaanite nations. Um, but they say, oh, we heard about you and Hashem and the Torah, and we came from a distant land. Look, our shoes were all worn yeah, out. And they were like uh, a cloth They were sackcloth. And they come and they say, we just love Hashem and the Torah. Won't you please let us become Jewish? And Yeshua, being the trusting soul that he is and the loving soul that he is, um, is impressed, and um, he welcomes them in after the fact and he makes a promise you can be jewish and he's not one to take back his promise the truth becomes revealed they're canaanites what they were really trying to do they're devious they're trying to they, they were scared of the jews and they're trying to uh avoid the death penalty now that they're now that they've been converted uh yeshua can't reasonably kill them they are appointed now and there's a reference in the beginning of this week's parsha look at rashi the parsha Sitzavi, and, and you'll see this is not the first time that people deceive their way into the pe- into the nation and become water drawers and woodcutters. and that's what the Chivim become. These four nations, the Chivim, um, who are from four cities, including a biblical city called Kiryat Yarim. Anybody know Kiryat Yarim in the in the Tanakh? Well, you'll learn it because we hope that we hope to host uh, you. To you. That's where I live. That's right, that's right. That's right. I live in a place that probably is biblical Kiryat Yarim today. It's called Telstone. Anyway, this is one of the four cities that was originally a pagan Canaanite city of these Chivim that. Afterwards, they become converts. Yeah, no, isn't that scary? <laughs> I'll show you my pagan neighbors. No. Now, we, the Torah has taken over in that their city. Good news. Um, the nation is outraged. They expected that their leader would be a little bit more skeptical, and uh, they're, they're, they're understandably upset. This nation is sometimes called in Chazal's language, anybody learn the third parak, for example, of Ksubos, um, Elunaros. So they're referred to as the Nisinin, as a separate category of people. Um, there's a whole story with the Nisenium. I'll keep it at this, just so you're aware of their existence. They're going to come up again in, in history. But eventually, by the Second Temple, it seems that they became totally integrated with the Jewish people. And we don't know of them as, as, as a distinct group anymore. It's possible that some of us descend from the Nisenium, for all we know. Anyway, they, they come into the peop- into the nation. I'm giving you right now some of the highlights from this period. I'm skipping some things. I'm not doing this comprehensively. Um, now, they're seven years, they're conquering the land. At one point, Hashem makes a miracle, and I sang about it last week. The, the sun stops in Givon, above Givon, which is not far from here. We can actually hike to Givon if there weren't so many pesky Arabs out there trying to kill us. Uh, but there's a place called Jeeb just north of the, of the city, and the place called Givon. The sun stands, stands still, the moon stands still in Amakai alone. Um, this is Hashem's assistant, assistance to Yeshua as he conquers now 31 kings around the country, you remember the song last week and the purpose of this is to dispel any <coughs> illusion that anybody has about who's really the source capital S of the Jewish strength the, mir- the, the victories are so incredibly miraculous, there's no way that this, this people just came in, bedraggled people after one hundred forty years 40 years somehow leading all these uh, military victories clearly a Kaddish Baruch Hu is successful, now listen to this um, the sun stencils, the moon stencils, just like we said by the flood, by the Mabul, many, many cultures around the world, disparate cultures around the world have traditions, have a Mabul tradition, which we don't say it's a proof, but certainly it's a compelling indication that maybe it happened. They integrated If, if the story became integrated <coughs> into their own legends and their own histories, so to hear, uh, many many cultures around the world have legends have a tradition in their history of the sun standing still and the moon standing still including just talk about diversity american indians have such a legend polynesians hindus chinese mexicans like literally all around the world and many many others uh they have a record of the time the sun stood still the um they conquered the land in seven years only they don't for reasons that are never fully explained, the job is left incomplete, and we're suffering still till today. Arguably, the problems that we have, anybody study the map of modern Israel? It looks something like this, Jew, Arab, Jew, Arab, Jew, Arab, we're living on top of each other. And um, mm-hmm. for some reason, they don't seem to like us very much. Um, and that's a problem, and the fact that we've had pesky neighbors in our side is very much a fulfillment of sukin we just read yesterday in Parsha's Kisovo which talks about, you know, you don't get rid of the nations of your land. They're gonna, you're gonna follow the ways of idolatry. They're going to be a perennial thorn in your side, and they're gonna be problems. Uh, that's the state of affairs as we find ourselves today. Um, near the end of the book of, Jer- of, of, uh, of, of Yeshua, after 14 years in Gilgal, we said this already, the nation moves, the center moves, center of gravity moves up to the holy city of, not really a holy city, Shiloh. but a significant city of Shiloh. Anybody been to Shiloh before? Uh, last year, if you're, if you, it, it, again, everything's possible as far as I'm concerned. It, a lot of it depends on logistics. But at the day after the closing banquet, I did a voluntary. Anybody who wanted to come can join us. Tour of Shilo, it's a place. Uh, very, very interesting. When were where there? How recently? Where is it? Shilo. It's about an hour north, uh, deep into the Shomron area. I was there two years ago? Okay. It's changed even since then. They've tried to upgrade it. I think they've low-graded it. I think, I think it's worse than it was before. But you can still see things and take out a Tanakh and walk in the footsteps of Eli and Hannah and Shmuel and Avi. And, uh, it it's danger? very exciting to be there. Wait, is it danger? Sure. It's in the Arab area. But I go all the time anyway. It's not terrible. Jews live there too. Um, <clears throat> after 14 years, they moved the Mishkan to Shiloh. Shiloh is situated in the tribe of Ephraim, Yoshua's tribe. Yoshua observes the first Shemitah with them. He dies six years later. And for the next 369 years, the capital of Klal Yisrael is in Shiloh. As we said, it's the center. It's the site of the Aaron Kodesh. Everybody goes for the uh, the leregel Korbanos. They do Suedas Mitzvah. All the Kohanim are based there. (laughs) We said that when the the, the, um, Mishkan is in Gilgal, you could do Bamos. After Shiloh, for about 57, for 57 years, again, you could do Bamos. But now that the Mishkan is in Shiloh, Bamos, all those personal sacrifices are forbidden. Can't do them because Shiloh is semi-permanent. It's not quite Yerushalayim, but as it were, it's kind of getting the Jewish people used to the permanence of Yerushalayim. The Pasuk in, look at Rashi there, the Pasuk at the beginning of partial Surah A. Uh, you're going to come, Ella menucha ve Nachala. And Rashi says, the menucha, the resting point is Shiloh. The Nachala, the final allocation of the land, that's Yushalayim. Because we're going to come to the menucha, the temporary rest for the next 300, really significant 369 years that we're about to live through this week. Um, that's in Shiloh. Um, ah, interesting, I'm just giving you the highlights. In Shiloh. The situation is similar to Yerushalayim. You can have bamos. Um, they eat the lighter level korbanos, what's called kotshim kalim, and maeser in what's called the ha which seems to mean anywhere the eyes could see. It's really interesting. There's a tour guide today who claims there's a fence that goes roughly the circumference of the mountains, and is kind of situated in a valley. Can you picture this, Julian? You remember, can you like, picture the Shiloh? It's in a valley, and it's surrounded by mountains, and he describes his name as Jabu, who's an Israeli, and he says there's an ancient fence that might date back to this period where you can walk along that fence, and he speculates that the purpose of the fence was to delineate whole Haroet, that every place that the eye could see was a way of reminding people that up until here you can eat Kachinkali, you can eat your Meiser shaney which is part of the produce has to be redeemed and tithed, and part of one of the tithes is in the, in the first, second, fourth, and fifth Shemitah years. Um, you tithe it, and you can eat it anywhere where you can see Shiloh. He thinks that that area delineates where you can eat the korbanos. Uh, the if he's right, it's thrilling. Uh, very, very interesting point. Um, <coughs> in Jerusalem, the same laws apply, but instead of anywhere you can see, it's what's called Liphni Minachoma, within the city walls. In the desert, the mishkan was more like tinker toys. It was made from wood that you could assemble and, 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 and disassemble easily. Here, the walls are made from hewn stone, saying that there's some kind of permanence here. And then, uvao shiloh, all the, all the nations ultimately come to Shiloh to allocate the land. Now that they've mostly not completely conquered the land, it's time to divvy up by the <coughs> tribes. Ooh, ooh. Okay, I owe you tomorrow. Maybe somebody can remind me, but I'll try to remember too. I want to give you maps because I want you to, I want you to like, really feel that you're in Eretz and you have a working geographical connection with the land and I'll try to give out maps of this allocation. We're almost done today, we have five more minutes, but I'll, I'm gonna describe it now, but we're gonna see it on a map tomorrow. There are three times that the tribes get allocated. One, times in the, one time in the Torah, when do we, when do, when, which tribes get what in the Torah? You know this, a few weeks ago, uh, more than a few weeks ago, a month or two ago, who got what in the Torah, which land? We weren't in Eretz Israel proper, where were we? Judea. Yeah. Not yet. Averley Yarden across the Jordan, who gets the two and a half tribes? Menashe. Half of Menashe. Half of Menashe, Gad and Reuven. Gad and Reuven get two and a half tribes. They get their land. Moshe distributes that. Those are in lands conquered from Sihon and Og, Melchabashan, and they get their land. It's almost the same level of kedusha of Eretz Israel, but not quite. Then, in Gilgal, two and a half tribes get their land. Who are they? Who are the next two and a half tribes to get their land allocated to them? It's Yehuda, Ephraim, and the other half of Manasseh. And now, they all come to Shiloh for the, for the rest. The last seven tribes haven't gotten their land, and another miracle is about to transpire. They come to Shiloh, and it's described in Parshish Pinchas. We'll look it up in Parshish Pinchas. They get it, what's called Alpi Goral, by, by, by the lottery. Kind of a lottery going on, but you know what Al Goral means, the Gemara says? The lottery yes. speaks. And it says, oh, this exact dimension, and they give it out by borders, they know exactly every square centimeter giving out to different tribes. This is Yisachar, and that's Zvulun, and this one goes to Binyamin. Why does it have to be miraculous like this? Think about <laughs> allocation of land, and by then by think it about it people it in and the Sahara okay. Yeah, right. Nobody can raise a question. If it's clearly from the mouth of the Goral, it's clearly from the mouth of the Kodesh Baruch Hu. you can't say, hey, I want different land. doesn't work that way. Even though, interesting, Zvulun is unhappy. Another Gemara and Megillah, Zvulun protests, I want a different land. But they have their land. Um, there's a whole ceremony. Yeshua's present. The Kohen Gadol is present. Who's the Kohen Gadol? You can guess, even if you don't know. Uh, no Elazar. Elazar, the son of Aaron, is still alive. He's, st- he's still with them. Um, it's really exciting. Everybody's there. You know, finally, we're giving up the land. Um, Shimon has something interesting. Shimon's portion is not so clear. It's somewhere within Yehuda. Did you ever notice on all those old maps, did you ever look at the old biblical maps of the tribes and the tribal allocations? So Shimon is often depicted in different ways. He's like a big swath of land, sometimes a little bubble in the middle of Yehuda. Neither is accurate. There's simply a mystery. We don't know what happens to Shimon. But make a note of this. Shimon, by the time of David a Melech, a few hundred years from now, seems to have disappeared. From that point on, we don't hear of a distinct tribe called Shimon. So Chazal explain, (coughs) Yehuda increased, Shimon, the tribe, shrunk. They're pushed off into other lands. They become teachers. They become poor wanderers. It's all based on, on, on Yaakov's last words when he, when, he, when he blesses his children. And um, then we don't hear about them again in history until Mashiach comes, and I just point this out, we'll see this more at the end of the year, Yehezkel the Navi says that at the end of time, all the tribes are coming back and they're gonna each have an equal piece in the land. Where this allocation is demographic, it's based on numbers of people in the tribe, in the end of days, I don't understand how this is gonna work, what the map, how the map pans out exactly, but Shimon, Yehuda, Binyamin, they're all gonna have equal, equal amounts, equal uh, portions in the land. Um, The uh, ownership of the land anyway, as the Shemitah year and especially the Yovel year indicates, is temporary. None of us, none of the tribes really own any land. You guys own your houses, your parents own your houses back in the States, nah. That's what Golis living teaches us. There's nothing permanent in this world. You build these, the spectacular shuls that are built. And we're going to see this through history. The Jews were able to build some formidable communities. Think about Alexandria, shall Egypt, in Egypt, that, that was, a, they built the largest synagogue ever. And it, we don't know what it happened anymore. I have a great story, but not for now. I don't have time left. But uh, remind me to tell you about the conservative synagogue in Detroit. It's another story. Anyway, you know, most of this, and that's meant to concretize and make us internalize this idea. Every 50 years, we're reminded at Yovel that when the sales of our land all revert to the original owners, what we learn is that we're all just migrants in the Kaddish Baruch world. You know, people don't get this point. You know, people who donate buildings and they want their legacy to be, because, you know, the, the Schwartz-Shelowitz family, we, this is our building. Don't they realize that buildings also crumble? You think that's going to give you some kind of eternity? Our eternity is measured in, in spiritual, non-physical ways, Do mitzvahs raise children who are going to be mentioned, who are going to impact the planet. You know, you can donate a building, and that's very nice, especially if it's for yeshiva, but don't think that's going to buy you some kind of eternity, especially if it's there to cover up your sins, that people like to give money to cover up the fact that most of their money was gained by money laundering. That doesn't work very well in Kaj Barbaro's book. You have, to, you, have to, you have to behave yourself, and uh, all these, you know, the allocation of land really uh, re- reinforces that. Last little interesting little episode, at the very end, Reuven got in Menashe you know, they helped with the conquest of the land, they fulfilled their promise to Moshe, they're right at there, the chalutzim, right at the beginning of, the, of the, uh, you know, the, the war effort, and now it's over, and they're about to go back across the Jordan to go back to their homes, and then something weird happens. They go back, and they build a mizbeach. They build an altar. Why is that a problem? They just got to Shiloh, and the rules were changed. You're not allowed to do that anymore. No more bamos. And they build an altar, and the Jews array themselves, immediately pounce on it, and they go out and they're prepared to make a civil war and eradicate God, Reuben, and Chetzi Shevet Menashe, on the spot. Go look it up, it's in Yoshua. It's in, it's in, uh, and um, immediately, they, the two and a half tribes say, no, you know, it's a mistake, you misunderstand, it's okay, we didn't mean it, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. And they explain themselves, and a civil war is narrowly, barely averted. What this shows is that the people were not prepared to tolerate anything. Because if you tolerate any little bit of injustice, any evil, anything that goes against the book, you start a little bit now, it grows and grows and grows. It becomes a cancer, it becomes a tumor, and it'll never stop. Interesting little, little, we've seen a lot of things like this, right? I mean, you know, I, you, be careful, be careful. If, if the minute sometimes we're lenient, where we shouldn't be lenient, it becomes, like you say, a form of, form is just the, it's just one of many examples like this. Um, fine. Tomorrow, Bez Rosh we're going to we're going to conclude. We'll talk about Yeshua's uh, final days, and we're going to meet some um, judges and some, some of the really some of the most exciting early tzaddikim of Jewish history. great.